And she's mine, too. I'm proud of you, Leah. Thank you. I'd like for you to take your Bibles tonight and turn to the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. If you're turning to Philippians chapter 4, I would like to just read a verse out of chapter 3. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. I thank God for the blood that was shed. I thank God for the Holy Ghost conviction. I thank God for the preacher that was sent to preach the word. I thank God for the life that's in Christ. But I'm convinced, folks, that the vast majority of Christians are missing the greatest blessing of that life. It's called peace. I'm convinced we're missing the greatest blessing of that life. The vast majority of Christians today are missing the greatest blessing of being a Christian. And that's that real inward peace of the Spirit. And I believe there's a reason for it. I believe that there are some things that God's Word tells us that will help us to have that peace with us at all times. I want to share basically three or four verses here with you and then show you what it has to say. What is the secret to being truly blessed as a Christian? It is peace. How, preacher, can I have that peace on a continual basis? In the book of Philippians, the fourth chapter, beginning with the fourth verse, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be made known, be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And I want to show you the ultimate response or the ultimate conclusion to all of that and the peace of God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, do we not need to have our hearts and minds kept in peace? Kept in Christ Jesus. He said basically three things to us there, to each and every one of us. That if we will practice as a regular habit of life, we will experience the peace that God has for us that passes all understanding. It's a joy to walk into the presence of someone and to visit or fellowship with someone who is just resting with that peace in the Lord Jesus. You see, the vast majority of us Christians are walking by sight, not by faith. We're looking at the circumstances we find ourselves in, and granted, many of the circumstances that we find ourselves in are traumatic, or so we think are traumatic, and are so heavy 
we feel as if we cannot continue. And we lose the joy, we lose the peace that God intended for us to have. And the devil's thrilled to death. He's just tickled to death to see a sad Christian. But folks, God said there's some things that can operate in us and that we are to live a life of peace in our hearts. Now let me go back and share with you here these things. Verse 4 says, To rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. When he said rejoice in the Lord always, he meant that inward joy in the Spirit. Now, many of us get the idea that that joy sometimes is, is just uh, leaping and shouting. Let, let me say something to you. Folks, the, I, I realize that the word rejoice can be translated literally leap and shout. Would you agree with that? Amen. It can, li- it can literally be translated leap and shout. There's not a thing wrong with leaping and shouting. But there's not a thing wrong with sitting still and saying nothing and having the blessed peace of God fill our hearts and just have a radiance about our countenance. That's still the joy within us. Some of us are highly emotional. Some of us are not highly emotional. Some of us just begin to weep with joy in our hearts. Well, now the Lord said, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Double emphasis. Now, if we're going to have this joy within, we've got to find out how it comes. Granted, initially it comes in salvation. Amen? All right, so the first thing that I want you to see, why, if we ask the question, why should I rejoice? Preacher, you don't know what I'm going through right now. And folks, what you just told me was you're letting your circumstances dictate the way you live when you say that. You are not to let your circumstances dictate God's joy or your countenance per se. You are to find another avenue. Now, now let, let me share. We need to know how to maintain joy in our hearts. May I tell you the first start? Turn with me to the book of Acts in the 16th chapter. And I go to this because I believe uh, this is the best way to go, all right? Uh, In Acts chapter 16, beginning with verse 12, And from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and the colony, was the direction in which Timothy was going here. And we were in that city abiding certain days, and on the Sabbath we went out of that city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us. Now I want you to notice the next verse, uh, the next phrase. Whose heart the Lord opened. Now, if you want something that will give you joy and real peace, will put you in a state of rejoicing, go back to your salvation. But folks, I want you to understand that you've got to have salvation first. You see, there are a lot of people 
trying to claim salvation and trying to manifest that joy, which is a superficial thing, which is a man-made thing, which will never do for them what is intended. But if, in fact, you have genuine salvation, you've got something to rejoice about. God has opened your heart. Now, I say God has opened your heart because the Gospel of John in the 6th chapter and the 44th verse says, no man... Now, if I were to put it in a little phrase that, that I use quite regularly, no man can. Now, hear me. Here's what I'm saying. No man can save himself. No man can pray a little prayer and say, I'm saved without God doing it. Now, he may say it, but he doesn't have it. He may try to live it, but he's miserable. He cannot rejoice. He does not have that joy within that, that the Scripture calls, that peace that's there that passes all understanding. But if you in fact have been born from above, you are born from above because God did it, not you. Now listen to what he says. No man can come to me, that is Jesus, except, now here's the way you come, except the Father which hath sent me draw him. In other words, no man just by his intellectual capabilities and by reading some scriptures can pray a prayer and say I am saved if God's not in it. Brother, easy believism is killing us today. Easy believism is killing us. My dear, precious friend, Brother Paul Raglan, used to make a statement to me from time to time. Preacher, don't pick them green. And what he meant was, you be patient, you deliver the word, but you let God do the work of drawing and birthing. You can't. And if we'll rest in that and let God do the work. Now, we have the awesome responsibility of delivering the word. We have the awesome responsibility of getting the mind of God in His truth and delivering it to the people. But dear precious friend, it is not left up to me to save anyone. That's God's business. And we have a hard time with that because we live in a humanistic society which says man must do it. He's God. Dear precious friend, you're not God and I'm not God. God is God and Jesus is His name as we know Him on the face of this earth. He's God. And so we must understand that it is God that saves the soul. It is God who opens the heart. And what that does is it takes it out of man's hands and places it back in the mercy of holy God. And all we can do is cry out for mercy unto holy God. But God is the one who's going to have to birth you. Until we come to the realization of the doctrine of salvation proper, we're going to miss that truth. I have watched this and watched this and watched this. Folks, let me tell you something. The devil would be thrilled to death if you would just accept the emotional response and have someone pray a prayer without God opening their hearts and he'd be tickled to death for you to have a church full of those people. And that's what we've got in most of our churches. That's what we've got. We've got man-made conversions rather than letting God do the absolute work. No man can. 
can what? Come unto the Lord Jesus, except the Father which sent the Lord Jesus draw him to him. And that's the way salvation is going to come. And so you see, that dear precious lady Lydia was thrilled to death. For you see, God had opened her heart. Now let me come back and say to us individually, the Bible says that there's a peace that every one of us is supposed to have. And the first thing he says is you're to live a life of rejoicing in the Lord and to rejoice always in the Lord. Now, how are you going to rejoice in the Lord? Well, the first thing you can do is reflect back on your salvation and see how God saved you when you didn't deserve it. Even when you were yet dead in trespasses and sin, God reached down and drew you. And when he drew you, he brought you to saving faith and love grew where that blood fell. You saw the cross, the price that was paid. And folks, it's not anything in you that brought that. It was all of Jesus. And when you see that, that's when you'll start shouting about that. You'll start rejoicing about that. Your heart will get filled inside with the joy of knowing God chose you to bring you to salvation. Now, I want to show you something secondly. Because some folks say, well, I understand that preacher and we testify all the time and, and, and all of those things. And, and, but that's just not enough. That just doesn't keep me on that mountaintop experience there. And I know we can't always stay on that mountaintop experience. Let me share some other things with you that ought to cause you to rejoice. All right? I want you to look in the fourth chapter here, beginning with the 11th verse. All right? The Apostle Paul is saying, first of all, in verse 10, he said, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. But now notice what else he says. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now I want you to hear something about that. The Apostle Paul said, I've learned this. This didn't come overnight. You see, it's not easy to learn to accept whatever state God has you in at any given time. That's not easy to accept. We don't understand the circumstances, why we're where we are. Why has this happened to us, Lord? Aren't we your people? Aren't we your children? What did the Apostle Paul say? He said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Folks, don't let your circumstances dictate your character. Don't let your circumstances dictate your joy or lack of joy. You let the Lord do that. Now listen. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now notice what else he says. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Right back to salvation again in Christ. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now I want you to look at verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You're struggling about your needs? Hey, folks, didn't God say he'd supply it all? Now listen, verse 20. Now unto God and our Father be what? Forever and ever. Be glory. Now I want to show you something, folks. This is a learned thing as a Christian. 
Through life's experiences, you will see that God will produce in you that which needs to be in order to accept that which comes in your life. You see, He will supply all your need. He will supply the needed grace for any experience if you'll rest in Him. Our problem today is we're saying we're Christian, but we're not resting in the Lord. We're taking it up, picking it up in our own hands and trying to handle it ourselves, and that's giving us more frustration than anything I know of. We're trying to deal with it. And Paul said, now I've learned in whatsoever state I find myself therewith to be contented, to accept it. I had a dear precious lady tell me in North Little Rock last Sunday, Pastor, I'm delighted you're here. I said, well, I am too. She said, I just want you to know my husband's going to get saved. I said, is that right? She said, yes. She said, I don't know when, but I know he's going to get saved. You know what she said? I have learned in whatsoever state I find myself therewith to be content. Some of you dear precious ladies may have to live with the devil for a while before he becomes a saint. Can you accept that? And be contented with it. Preacher, I can't handle it. But God said he'd supply every need you have. Now look, here's what we're doing. We're taking it out of God's hands and we're putting it back into our hands and folks, we can't handle it. But God can why don't you put it back in his hands and learn to be contented in whatsoever state you find yourself? And trust him, for there's something about that. He knows what he's doing. We don't. So here's what I'm saying. If you want another reason to rejoice outside of the fact that God has saved you by his grace, here's another reason to get all excited. God will supply every need you have. God will supply every need that you have. Now, if God will supply every need that you have, why fret? Why worry? Preacher, you don't understand. I don't have a dime right now. You don't have to. God has millions. Okay? Preacher, I don't know how we're going to eat tomorrow. You don't have to. God's got all the food in the world. God knows how to provide. And you see, folks, we develop ulcers. We develop high high blood pressure. We develop uh, cardiac arrest. We develop all types of symptoms. We break out with rashes from nerves because we're trying to handle what God said. You leave it alone, let me handle it. Rest in Him. Folks, if we'd ever come to realize that, now I'm telling you again, this is a learned thing. And as you see in your Christian life and your Christian walk as you come down the road, how God has supplied the need over the years past then don't fret over the years in the future because he's going to provide there too. When I resigned Riverside Church and had no place to go, had no idea that I was going anyplace else, didn't know where it was headed. And I said, and I told your pastor, I said, I'll never do that again. I did that here at Calvary and I'll never do that again, but I just felt it was to be done. You know, God gave me peace. Well, didn't we say? The peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts through Christ Jesus. I had no idea. And folks would come to me and say, Pastor, what are you going to do? And I'd just sit there and grin and say, I don't know. But God knows. 
I don't understand that, Pastor. I don't either, but God knows. You see what I'm saying, folks? And let me show you what I'm saying. I've seen back down the road where he took care of me. Why should I worry about the now or the future? He'll do it here too. You know what that'll do for you? That'll fill your heart with joy. I don't have to worry about whether or not my family's going to be provided for tomorrow. Why? Because my father knows all about it and he can supply every need I have. It amazed the chairman of the deacons, the church that I'm about to go to, and he stood in the pulpit last Wednesday night and told the church, he said, you know, this man has not asked what he's going to be paid. Folks, I still don't know what I'm going to be paid. I've not been told. I have no idea what my salary is going to be. But you know what? My God shall supply all my need. And that has dumbfounded those people. They can't believe that someone would come and not ask, what you going to pay me? I'm not telling you that's a practice you ought to practice. Hey, folks, you do what God gives you liberty to do, all right? But I want you to know something. I'm not worried about it in the slightest. Because my God has taken care of me all through the years. And that fills my heart with joy. That I don't have to worry about this thing. God's in control. So you see that Christ supplies every need that you have. That's another reason to rejoice. May I tell you another one that I think is real good? Look with me in the first chapter of this book of Philippians and, and uh, the sixth verse here. Okay? <laughs> Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If my God started a work in me before I was saved, brought me to salvation, won't he take me to ultimate glorification? I'm confident of the fact that what God has done in me, he will perform to completion at the appointed time. You know what that says? Now, now, let me take you a step further. Look in the second chapter over here. Boy, I like this book. Look in the second chapter here. And look at verses 17 and 18. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say this, folks. Something that ought to give us a great joy is the fact that other people are being saved too. Does it not excite your heart when you see someone get saved? All right, now that ought to fill your heart with joy. Now, I don't know how the manifestation is going to come out of you about that joy. You may jump and shout. You may sit down and weep. You may sit there and just start to laugh. Or you may just sit there with a glow on your face saying, Thank you, Lord. Thank you. But you're rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. That's another reason, folks, for us to rejoice. I want to take you a step further. I don't want to leave you just there. But let's go a step further. All right? Let's look, go back in the first chapter in the fifth verse again. First chapter, verse 5. Notice this verse. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Now look over at the second chapter, beginning with verse 19. 
But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But ye know the proof of him that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all, and was full of heaviness, because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. And then if you look in the fourth chapter and the first verse. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Look at verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Now, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to give you another reason for rejoicing. You want to know what that reason is? It is this, that you have friends and helpers in the gospel. Now, folks, let me show you something. If you didn't have friends in Christ, you'd be a miserable person. But I want you to know there comes a time when you need some genuine fellowship. It's one thing to talk and visit and be friends with the world's crowd. At some appointed time, working with them, whatnot. But I want to tell you something. If you're genuinely a child of God, you need to get with the children of God and find out what kind of friends you really got. And I want you to know that makes all the difference in the world. Yesterday afternoon, Jimmy and, and um, uh, Cecil and John Sanders and I all met at McDonald's and had a cup of coffee. And I thought, you know, this brings back old memories. Well, going back in remembrance. When we used to sit and drink coffee and talk and Somebody come up with a burden. You know what we do? We dropped our knees right there by the chairs or the booths where we were, and we'd pray over those needs. And God would just manifest himself all over. And when we got up and we started to leave, we'd leave, if we'd take off, in our hearts it'd be joy. Brother, if I don't have friends anywhere else, I've got friends right here. i got friends. Now, folks, that's enough to make you want to shout. You've got real friends. Now, buddy, the world's crowd will be your friend as long as you can help them. But when you can't help them, they'll turn on you and run lickety-split. They have no more need of you. So another reason that we're to rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice, is we've got good Christian friends in the gospel. Boy, that's something to get excited about. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something. I had friends before I got saved, but I got friends now that I am saved. Something quite different from anything we've ever had before. And you need to cultivate that friendship. May I say something to you, Calvary Baptist Church? You need to make it a point 
of getting together from time to time, groups of you, and just fellowshipping in the Lord and having a good time over a cup of coffee or a cup of hot tea or, or whatever it is you like and just get together and just love the Lord and before you ever part with one another, you need to just pray with each other. You need to share the burdens that you have or the problems you're faced with because I want to tell you something. When you get together with those real friends and you've got a real burden or a real problem, it's amazing how God has given one of the other brethren there the answer to that problem for you to minister to you shouldering one another's loads. And you'll find out what real friendship is, what real friends are. You got real friends working in the ministry. The apostle Paul had friends that he could send here and send there and send there and minister, and those friends over there could send their friends here to minister to Paul. Well, every time we come in contact with one another, because of the spirit of the living God that's in us, we ought to be ministering to those brethren. I don't care who you are. When you come up and shake my hand, when, when, when Nancy walked in here tonight, Nancy Hickson, I saw her back there just smiling, a good time, went back and shook hands with We were ministering to one another. Kathy and Jim came in right beside, turned around there and shook hands with them, and we were just laughing. They ministered to me, folks. Why? They're friends in the gospel. They've got the same spirit I've got. And folks, they're not looking at how I part my hair. They're not looking at how I've dressed tonight. You know what they're looking at? That's Brother Wade, and I love him. You know how I'm looking? That's Nancy Hicks. That's Kathy and Jim, and I love them. Why? Because they're brethren in the Lord. In the gospel, we've got friends. I don't care if you stray. I don't care if you fall to the wayside somewhere and you stump your toe. You know what we are as friends? We're going to come try to pick you up. We're going to come and help you get back on your feet. We care. Folks, that's something to rejoice about. Now, you think about that. You have a real need? Share it with one of your brethren in the gospel, and you'll find out what I'm talking about. Go back to the first chapter of the book of Philippians, and I'll share something else with you that you need to, uh, to recognize and, and have a good time in rejoicing over. Beginning with verse 12, all right? As the apostle Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, he says, But I would you should understand, brethren that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather into the furtherance of the gospel. Those circumstances are carrying the gospel where they would have never gone had not those circumstances arisen in his life. Listen. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. He said, I've been arrested and put in jail, and I'm in the palace jail right now. And folks, I want to tell you something, I'm rejoicing about it. Could we do that? Could we rejoice about that if we were put in the penitentiary? So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. It's spread everywhere because of where I am. You don't impress this world by how you handle the good times, folks. You impress this world by how you handle the bad times. That's when you impress this world that you've got something they don't have. How are you going to handle the bad times? And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other cornbread to church. Y'all don't know anything about that, do you? 
I'll never forget that Mexican cornbread. And you know, she's always smiling and she's always laughing. But when she brought that Mexican cornbread and borrowed it down to share it as a servant to all of us here, when she went home, I'll tell you what was in her heart. What was it? Peace. God gives the peace that passeth all understanding. Why? Because she's a servant to all of you. I'm not just picking on her. I can pick on any one of you, all right? What I'm trying to get you to see is that big-heartedness has got to be here. Now, if you're going to be stingy, and you're going to be grumbly, and you don't want to help, and you don't want to give yourself to the extent that you're going to get crucified, you're not going to experience that peace that God wants you to have. You're going to have to be willing to lay down your life for the brethren. I mean, when they come and attack you, eyeball to eyeball, nose to nose. You're going to have to be able to stand there and smile and say, I love you. And God's going to give you that peace. But I'm going to tell you, if you get bound up and get your old nose all twisted up and blood pressure rises up, folks, you're going to feel miserable and you're not going to do anything but develop more bitterness inside. It's going to keep you from enjoying that peace of God that passeth understanding. So you're going to have to learn how to be a servant to all people. As these come and sing, uh, and sing these songs, what are they doing? They're serving. They're serving. The ladies that have been preparing the meals all week, what are they doing? They're serving. They're a servant to all. And this is the way God intends for us to be if we're going to experience that peace, if you will. We're going to have to be that kind of person. What are we saying? Big-heartedness, folks. Let your moderation be known. Go minister to all of them. Not just the saints of God, but the lost and dying world as well. And that's going to blow their minds. I've seen this happen too many times. Now, I'm not going to stand here and tell you whether or not a man is saved or lost, but I want to tell you something. Every time Brother Paul Ragland would come and hold a meeting with us in Mississippi, you know one of the things he'd say to me before the week was out? Brother Wade, think we might go to Helena today? Well, yes, Brother Paul, if you'd like to. Why don't we do that? Let's go over there and see Brother John. And when we pull up in front of Brother John's place there and stop the car and get out, you know where Brother Paul would head? In his old jumpsuit, he'd walk in and he'd say, Hello, brother. And he'd hug him, talk to him just a minute, and then he'd turn and do what, John? Out in the shop, going for James. And he'd just stand there with his hands in his pockets and visit with James. I'm not telling you James is saved or lost. I don't know. We stand there and visit with him. He said, James, you got a minute? Come go with me. Let's look out here in the trunk of the car. I got some new fishing tackle. And he'd go out there and he'd sort through that fishing tackle. What do you think about this, Brother James? I believe that's all right, Brother Paul. What, what do you think about this one, Brother James? I, I picked these up down the road there. They tell me it's real good for fishing for something. I, I'm not a fisherman, you understand, okay? And you know what he did then? He said, Brother James, I got these for you. He gave them to him. Go down there and see what Brother James thinks about Brother Paul today. That's right. Greatest man he ever met. Why? Because he was a servant. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. Two men, basically, in my life that God has really used to teach me many things. This man was the first one. 
Paul Raglan was the second one. And I saw more of the love of God in Paul Raglan than I'd ever seen in anybody walking the face of the earth. And God took him and taught me how to love people. Folks had a love like nobody's business. You know what he was? He was a servant to the extent that he was willing to be sacrificed on the altar of sacrifice that others might come to know Jesus. Most of us got just enough pride to keep us from being the servant we're supposed to be. And we'll get all bent out of shape because they're not acting the right way. And we can't minister to them. We've got to learn how to love them and minister to them. I've got a couple of men over there in Clarksdale that I still try to minister to. And I do anything I can to find a way to go and just serve them. They're lost. And every time I do it, it reminds me of Brother Paul. Folks, I, I told my wife the other day, I can't help but believe. Now, I can't explain it. But I can't help but believe that Brother Paul is sitting at the front pew on the banister in heaven looking down at this brother of his and praying for him. That hits me all the time. I have a 16 by 20 picture. And when I look into his eyes, I almost start to cry, start to weep. Because I know the love he had. And I'm going to tell you something now. I've prayed for years. God give me wisdom to know how to help people. But since I've known Brother Paul and since he's gone home to be with the Lord, I've started praying for two things now. God give me the wisdom to know how to serve people, but give me the love in which to do it, like Brother Paul had. I'll never forget that man as long as I live. Now, outside of Jesus, he'll be the next man I want to see when I get to glory. Never seen a man love me and my family. Anytime he'd come to our house, he'd have a box of Twinkies. Those kids knew it before he got out of his car. Here comes Brother Paul. Here comes Brother Paul. What's he doing? He's ministering. And he'd come in with a sack. That white jumpsuit. He'd come up. Paul? Suzanne? Her name's Sue Ann. Please don't call her Suzanne. She gets offended by being called Suzanne all the time. Suzanne? You still like them Susie Q's? Look at here what I found down at the bread store. Susie Q's. My kids love Brother Paul as if he were their own, his own, as if he was their own grandfather. Always brought the Twinkies. Found out Paul liked a little chocolate, and he got those chocolate fudge cake things. You know what I'm talking about. Then he found some King Dons. He'd bring those King Dons. And folks, he didn't bring one or two. He brought a sack of them. And you know what he'd tell them? He said, now when those run out, we'll get some more. <laughs> now, what do you think my kids thought of Brother Paul? Well, I want to ask you a question. What do you think this lost and dying world out here thinks about us if we really serve them? And if we really serve in the name of Jesus because we love Jesus, what do you think Jesus is going to put in our hearts? Peace. Peace. We need to learn how to serve. Hmm? Learning how to serve, folks. Be servants to all people. If you want the peace of God that passeth all understanding, you're going to be a servant. 
And then thirdly, I hope I'm, oh my goodness. Thirdly, let's look at the third thing. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. You know what he said? He said, you be in constant prayer to God above at all times. Now, he said, be careful for nothing. Another word for that word careful is to be anxious for nothing. If I could put it another way, it says, brethren, just don't worry. Just don't worry. Worry will kill you. Just don't worry. Well, if I'm not to worry, preacher, what am I supposed to do with it? Well, be careful for nothing, but in everything. By what? Prayer. Anytime you find something coming up on you that's going to cause you to become anxious, or it's going to cause you to worry, let me tell you what to do. Here it is. Father, I got a dilemma down here. I need to give it to you. Would you take it? You see what I'm saying? But now listen. But in everything by prayer and supplication, that word for supplication means to humbly cry out unto God. Then it says with thanksgiving. You see our problem today is we forget to thank God for what he's done for us. Preaching didn't do anything for me today. He let you live, didn't he? He let you breathe his air, didn't he? He let you have food in your belly today, didn't you? He didn't take away the breath of life today, did he? Thank him for it. He's God. We're not. He's God. Let your requests be made known unto God. We've got to be people of prayer. We're going to have the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Now, if we're not praying to God with these problems, then who's carrying them? Who's carrying them? You are. That's the reason I got high blood pressure. I'm still learning. I'm carrying those problems. Folks, you can't do it. If you learn how to have your heart filled with joy over those things that's happened for you, those things that are going to happen, those things that are happening. If you learn how to be a real servant to all people and quit being selfish, self-centered, but die to self and let Christ live in you and then just petition God with all things. Here's what he says. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts in Christ Jesus. Now, my question is, do you have the peace of God tonight? Are you walking in the peace of God? <laughs> Dear precious folks, what I'm telling you is, if you're not, you're not where God wants you to be. Because he wants you to have that peace. Do you have it? Amen. May God grant us the grace to see his truth in this area. That we can have the peace, which is the greatest blessing that God has to offer. This Christian walk is peace in our bosoms. 
If ever a man walked with peace in his bosom, Brother Paul Ragland walked with it. He was the epitome of peace in one's bosom. I've never forgotten that man. Folks, he taught me. And I sure want to learn, don't you, to have that peace. May God give us the grace to see this truth and praise him. Brother Charles.